This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Peter Puisto. I'm the founder of Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. All right, well, we got Dan on the line. And I started thinking, I probably shouldn't have shared those pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys, we got Don Higgins on. Um, anything that's got to do with uh, chasing big deer, I've got my hands in it somehow, so. Well, my name's John Eberhardt. The first one that comes to mind was early in my career. I'm Scott Buckley from Iowa. Um, I had jumped him in the summer, too. He jumped up in that swamp grass down in the bottom lake. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm chasing it, there ain't nothing stopping me. Justin Hollinsworth, I'm with Whitetail Addictions and uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. So what are we talking about tonight? We're, uh, we're talking about the one that got away. We talked about a deer that we didn't get it done on for some reason. Um, so uh, go ahead and get into the story of the one that got away. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, episode five of the One That Got Away series. We're, we are knee-deep in season right now. We're almost belly button 70. deep. It's close, man. We're, oh, we're in yeah. deep. So we hope you guys are having a kick-ass season. Um, like I said, we're pre-recording all these intros, so hopefully all our followers have every one of their target bucks killed right now. But we have Don Higgins on this week talking about a couple bucks that he messed up on kind of earlier in his hunting career and really breaks down what he would do different. Um, pretty cool. This is kind of before trail cams yeah, and everything. Yeah, it, so. it was cool to like listen back yeah, in the day. You how know? they did it back yeah. then. So really cool listen to Don talk about a deer that didn't get it done on. Don's super knowledgeable. One of the most knowledgeable whitetail hunters, I believe, that's out there um, killing the type of deer that he's killing. You know what I mean? Like he's 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 going to get on the public land pretty hardcore, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I know he's been driving pretty hard to do that. Um, this past couple of years, but uh, I know that he has the growing whitetails down to a T. So um, let's get into the people that make this possible. Get in the show. All right, guys. Last one for Underwarmer. Um, I just want to talk about their cost. You know, um, ten ninety nine for twelve hours. Like we were saying in a previous episode, mm-hmm. you might be able to get four hunts out of this. Might be able to get two hunts out of this. Um, but say you had, you know, a really cold stretch for two weeks. You know, you might only need, there's a couple cold fronts coming. You might only need two or three of these for the season, guys. So I was thinking about last year, I probably spent 45 bucks in hand warmers. So I'd had four of these, you know, 45 bucks. I probably probably would have been better off doing that. Yeah. And uh, like I said, they come with a resealable bag so you can keep them tight and use the other day. Um, buying a few and having them laying around in case a cold front comes in to help you, you know, be able to set a little longer on a late late season snowy day um 1099 i think it's worth the risk to have one laying around to grab it off the top of the gun cabinet and be like all right i'm gonna be able to relax out there and not be shivering the whole damn time because it's hard sitting in a tree stand shivering but i could i could see us hanging and then putting this sucker on you know even if you put it on about that 
the second hour in the morning when you really start getting cold, that's when I feel like that would come in clutch. So, all right. Mm, what do you got? You got Last Breath TV over there? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> we've seen this. Why? Does that sound different to you? Mm-mm. Okay. All right. Uh, Last Breath TV, we've uh, seen the calendar, and uh, the YouTube has been refreshed with a lot of new content for you guys to enjoy as um, the hunting season continues on. And you just never know when you might see a familiar face on there. Um, hearing, hearing us two, you might see us on there. And um, that's, that's pretty cool. So be sure to head over there to their YouTube channel and give them a subscribe. All right. I'm going to talk to you guys about Ride On Optics. Um, week six coming at you with Ride On. Hopefully you check them out and, you know, see if it's something that you'd be interested in, in purchasing or not. But, uh, like I said, they wanted to get a word out, some word out to the whitetail hunters. And I feel like this is the, like the perfect whitetail product. It's called the five primal, the 10 by 42, and it's their binos. Um, they're made out of a lightweight magne, oh, oh yeah, magnesium alloy frame. Um, it can handle the most rugged applications while adding minimal weight to your gear. Um, it has HD clarity. All their scopes have HD clarity also. Um, it's util- can be utilized all day without eye fatigue. Um, it's also covered by the unlimited lifetime warranty. Um, this will literally be the last binos you ever had to buy if you bought these binos. So pretty reasonable price for a, you know, a good good set of binos. And uh, just like homie, you know, if you dropped it out and it split in half, yeah. <laughs> you'd know that you'd have one within 48 business days and you know that you're never going to have to buy one again. And the older I get, the more I've come to like, you know, higher quality, good products. So this is actually something that I might purchase um, here pretty soon from these guys, just because it's something that I like to have. I really like to have a good pair of binos. And if you bought one and you never had to worry about buying another one, like you just had it, mm-hmm. you know, you're a solid for it. Like That's if it breaks, like. you're like good for it, you know? So um, you can check them out at rideonoptics.com. Exodus trail cameras, something I want to talk about is something that is getting more popular between uh, Cody and I's trail camera strategy, and that's hanging cameras for year-round data. And um, when you have an Exodus trail camera backed by a five-year warranty, you're not scared to do that because you can just leave that puppy out there and let it run and do its thing. And um, it can really help you, and it's put us on bucks um, the following year, and it's got ahead of the bucks the following year um, because we've had that intel. And it's something that um, I'm obviously preaching right now because I, f- I feel like it's really given us better odds going yeah. into season. And um, if you want to get an Exodus trail cam, you can do that at exodusoutdoorgear.com. All right, we got Black Rifle Coffee Code. Whitetail Legacy is the code, guys. Get you 20% off any and all of your orders. And we got the Badlands Discount Code. Guys, reach out. We'll hook you up with that. Um, that's not a code that we can give out to everybody, so if you do message us, we can give you that sweet deal. All right, guys, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here we go. All right, guys, we got Don Higgins on, the one and the only. How you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing good. We appreciate you coming on. Definitely humbled to be talking to you. I've been following you for a long time. Um, out there just absolutely, every time you kill a buck, I'm like, going to be a giant. Going to be a giant. <laughs> going to be huge. So, um, real excited to get into the story. Well, I'm always ready to talk deer hunting and especially big bucks, so I appreciate you having me on. Well, for the very few people that might not know who you are that are listening to this, um, go ahead and give a quick rundown of uh, who you are and what you've done in the industry. Well, who I am, I'm just a simple country boy, I like to say. I'm chasing my dream. I've, uh, I'm 57 years old, live in East Central Illinois. Um, I started writing for outdoor magazines 25 years ago this summer. I had my first article published in North American Whitetail, and in the years since, uh, I've had articles in just about every major hunting magazine. Um, I've got my own podcast called Chasing Giants. I founded and am the uh, co-owner and president of Real World Wildlife Products. Um, a food, that's a food plot seed and deer nutrition company. Um, anything that's got to do with uh, chasing big deer, I've got my hands in it somehow, so... Um, that's what I'm about. 
Yeah, the just a huge shout out to you for all the content that you've created throughout the years. I've I don't know how many articles I've read and YouTube videos I've watched. Um, just to you know pick up on the content and for a guy that knows so much it probably gets a little bit tiresome releasing another episode or another video but it's super valuable to guys like us that are just I feel like we're just getting decent at killing big deer like we're just on the edge of like really almost there and uh, we're always right on the edge of killing a giant every year Mm -hmm. so we need yep. a couple more years of absorbing content from guys like you for the light bulb to finally click and be like, okay, we know what we need to do. <laughs> well, I, I can relate. I've been through every stage as a hunter from the greenest beginner, you know, all the way uh, through the other stages. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think you guys want to talk about bucks that were missed. But, uh, you know, my mentor, uh, a lot of people have heard me mention the name Alan Foster. Um, Alan Foster is a guy that was is 10 years older than me, but, uh, he was a coworker back when I was just a pup. I was, I met him when I was about 18, 19 years old, started a new job and he was killing big bucks pretty consistently. So, uh, I was picking his brain at work all the time. And, uh, I remember one time he told me that, uh, you know, when, when the big bucks come in, he gets a shot at them, you know, he rarely missed. And, uh, I forget what his percentage of success was, but at that time I thought back on the, the decent bucks that I've got shots at. And, and I was only about 50%, about half of the time when I had a good buck come in, he got away and the other half I'd, I'd kill him. But uh, today that percentage is way, way better. I, I can't remember the last time I had a target buck come in and I didn't kill him. And uh, some of that's confidence and, but a lot of it's just experience. So I've got plenty of stories of missed bucks. I can promise you that. Yeah, when it's every video I watch you, I'm like, he's so calm, <laughs> so calm. <laughs> Smokey's coming in. He's so calm. I'm like, this guy is just chill right now, just out there, just doing what he's meant to do. He's like, yeah, I shot him. He's down. I'm like, I'm freaking out on the on the other side of the TV. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that just comes with with time and experience. It didn't used to be that way, but. Uh, the camera might not show it. I'm, I'm a pretty low key guy anyway, but, uh, you know, I've shot enough of them now that I, I don't get too excited, but, uh, my heart gets to racing when those really special bucks come along. Everyone that you seem to take almost now is, it has that special factor to it just due to the, the history and the buildup and, you know, your, everything you've done with your farm. So, um, Every, just like Cody said, you know, you, you know, it's going to be a big deer and, um, the, the special factor is really what makes it count. Well, you know, I've got to the point where I'm targeting one specific animal now and it didn't used to be that way. It used to be, you know, I'm going out to the woods and if my goal was 150 inch buck, well, I'm ready to shoot any 150 inch buck that comes along. And I think a lot of that's due to trail cameras. You know, I get to know these bucks so well. And, and a lot of times the day I shoot them is the first time I ever laid eyes on them. But I've still got that history of those trail camera pictures from multiple years ahead of that. Um, so I, I think that's been a real game changer for me. Yeah, we we talk about trail cams on this podcast all the time. It's like a deep love for us. Um, just trying to connect the dots and get pictures of these deer and figure out what they're doing and what the personality is. That's what does it for us. The, the breaking down the technical stuff, that's what tricks our trigger. We love shooting big deer, but if it's one that we can target, we're always going out of our way to be like, okay, this is, this is the deer we really want, but we're still, (laughs) we're still, uh, if something comes by that looks sweet, we're going to snag it. (laughs) Well, there's nothing wrong with that. You just got to make yourself happy. And, uh, you know, I was at that stage at one point too. Um, but, but the trail cameras were just the real game changer. Whenever you know that there's a, a certain class of buck in your hunting area, then it makes it a whole lot easier to pass those bucks that are just a little smaller than that. Yeah, for sure. You're like, oh man, I could do this, but I know that I got pictures yesterday of he's <laughs> still around here in the area. So definitely helps out and definitely gives us some motivation to go you know that extra mile or whatever we got to do to get on these bucks to be like okay there's a giant back in here somewhere we just gotta get back in here and figure it out so right definitely definitely helps but 
like like we said at the beginning, the reason we had you on is to talk about bucks that you've hunted in the past and and missed the opportunity or missed the shot. But the like I said, the reason we wanted to do this is um, every year I'm like, there's no question in my mind that Don Higgins is going to get it done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. he's either going to get it, he's either going to have an encounter with the buck he's after, or he's going to get it done. You know, so um, I think it's awesome that. For one, you know, you're cool enough to share the story with us because most people like to talk about their successes and not their failures or their mistakes. So I appreciate you sharing it with our listeners and us, um, you know, a time that everything didn't come together for you. Well, there's been plenty of those times that it didn't come together, so I've got uh, plenty of material to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this podcast should be called, Close Calls. That's what that's everything we got man i was close to him i was right there but i just couldn't seal the deal so all right well uh at the beginning of this we talked about a couple different bucks um but we got plenty of time so go ahead and pick one and run into the story and uh, we'll we'll break her down from there well you know one buck that really sticks out to me is probably i don't know it's been at least 25 years ago uh maybe 30 um when you get my age, those years before just kind of all run together. So I, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but uh, I was probably in my late twenties. I'm going to guess, and uh, I was working a job uh, during the day shift, so I had to be at the at the job at 7 a.m. and then I'd get off at three and and I'd get to hunt every evening. And uh, it was in October, and I remember the morning that I'd. Uh, the morning of this hunt, I left to get in my truck to go to work, and I'd leave. If, I'd always leave a few minutes early, especially in the fall, um, to take the scenic route to work to hopefully see some deer. But uh, on this morning, it, it had rained really hard the night before, just pretty much all night long. And when I got out to get in my truck about daylight, the rain was just starting to let off and uh, you know really taper off and turn to a, a light sprinkle. And by the time I got to work, it had quit. So. Um, you know, I noted those conditions. I'm always, um, watching the wind direction too. So on my way to work that morning, you know, I'm watching flags flying or whatever to note wind direction and always kind of trying to think where I'm going to hunt that, that day. That's what, what would get me through the work day is, uh, you know, just thinking about my evening hunt. And, uh, so I got off work that afternoon and the wind had switched. It was out of the West that morning. And uh, it had switched to the north. So, you know, that afternoon while um, when I got off work, the wind was out of the north. I picked a, uh, a stand to go to. And to get to that stand, it was in a small woodlot. But there was a fence line, a, a tree row, if you will, that, that kind of led through this um, these corn and soybean fields to that woodlot. And uh, as I'm walking down that, that tree line to the woodlot to where my stand was at, I, I came across a set of, of, of big tracks, just a single deer, a big deer. And, uh, he was going the same direction that I was. And, you know, I knew by the fact that it had rained the entire night before that those tracks were made that morning about the time the rain quit, you know, right about daylight. And that buck was headed right towards the woodlot where I was going to hunt. And there was a couple of little spots in that woodlot where the deer really liked to bed. And I thought, man, I'm going to see this buck because he's bedded right there in that woodlot. And my stand was, uh, you know, going to cover the trail um, coming out of that bedding area. So I knew my odds were really good that I was going to see that buck. Um, but as I'm going to my stand, I decided, you know what? I, I knew what the wind direction was that morning. I want to see what that buck did as he went to his bed. And so I followed those tracks and I, I didn't go the route that I would normally go to that stand because that buck had turned and when he, he was about 50 yards from that woodlot. So he's traveling down this tree line that morning and he's got that wind right in his nose. So there was no place along that tree line where I could have been sitting to get a shot at him that morning. He would have smelled me before he, he got to me. And then as he comes to the woodlot, he turns about 50 yards out in that open field and he walks parallel to the woods edge out in that open field and he would have had a crosswind. So before he went into that woodlot to bed, 
he and I'm sure he did this in the dark. He, he walked the downwind edge of that bedding thicket, and, and then he J hooked right back into it, and, and he went in there to bed. And when I seen that, you know, the wind that afternoon had switched, so I was doing all this with the wind in such a way that he couldn't smell me. And uh, I, I was out in the field far enough away from the woods that uh, you know he probably couldn't see me e- either because it was you know October. There were still plenty of leaves on. But I noted, you know, how he had used the wind that morning, and there was just no place I could have set up where I could have shot him. He would have smelled me. Um, it would have just been impossible as he came into that bed to get a, get a crack at him. But, uh, you know, once I seen what he did, I circled back around and, and went around and got in my stand. And in this woodlot, there was a small creek that uh, – and that, that's why it was wooded. You know, it was just – with that creek, it was not a uh, – not conducive for farming. The ground was a little bit too rough. And on each side paralleling that little creek was a deer trail. And I had my stand right along the creek. So I had a deer trail on each side of my stand about 20 yards. So I I was trying to cover two trails, one on each side of my stand. Um, The issue, one of them would have been to my north, one of them to my south. Well, the, if he would have came down the, with the wind out of the north, if he'd have come down the north trail, his scent would have been blowing to me, and I'd have been fine. If he came down the south trail, my scent would have been blowing to him, and he was going to catch me. Well, that's exactly what happened. Um, I had my back to the, the bedding area, and uh, that buck came down the south trail, and he hit my scent at the same time that I turned my head and seen him. And he locked up as he hit that, my scent trail, he looked right up at me and his eyes, I swear they bugged out the size of saucers and he instantly just blew out of there. And, you know, all these years later, I can still picture his rack. He was a perfect 10 pointer, probably 160 inches. And he had an acorn. You've seen those, those acorns they get on their, their racks where there's like a, a little bump or whatever, a ball. Yeah. And he had, he had one of them on every time. And I don't know if he injured his rack somehow when it was growing to do that, but uh, I can still see that bucket 20 yards wide open and uh, coming right down the trail like I knew he would. And then he hits my scent and locks up and busts out of there. Well, I I never did see that buck again. Never did kill him, obviously. I I didn't even get a shot at him that day, but, but that buck taught me so many things that I've used in the years since to kill a lot of other bucks and, you know, the first thing is probably uh, when I tracked him in, out there in that mud in that field and noted how he was using the wind that morning as he went into bed, I realized how difficult it is to kill a big buck on an October morning because most of the time they're back bedding before it's ever daylight. And when they come into bed, they're checking everything, you know, with their nose first. And, you know, you hear guys talk about, well, I'll go out and get my stand at three in the morning and I'll be before the buck comes into bed. Well, if he's running the downwind edge, it doesn't matter how early you get there. He's going to smell you and and bust you before it's even daylight. And at that point, uh, I really quit pretty much hunting October mornings. It's pretty rare for me to hunt a morning in October anymore. Um, The other thing was hunting that that stand where he busted me. I'd hunted that stand, you know, a, a few times. And it seemed like every time the deer came by me, they were on the downwind trail and smelled me. And, uh, you know, later I moved to my stand. I, instead of trying to cover both trails by sitting in the middle of them, I covered both of them from two different stands. I put stands not, not between them, but outside, um, you know, 20 yards from each trail. And I actually did end up shooting a buck there a few years later, um, by doing that. But, what I learned is those mature bucks are going to use the wind to cover as much of the cover as they possibly can. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been using that ever since. So there's two things I learned from that buck. And uh, even though I didn't kill him, but I've used the lessons I learned there to kill several others. I feel like when you're telling that story, I feel like hunting with trail cams is hurting us. Cause I don't think like back then, you really didn't have it so you didn't know what was there so you've seen those tracks you're like okay i'm gonna follow this and figure out what was going on 
automatically for us, we'd be like, okay, he's in the area, he's going to be on one of our cams. Mm -hmm. So you don't learn what that deer actually did by going in there and following it. So I feel like... You would just go pull the cam. Yeah, you just go pull the cam, you know? I feel like we're missing out on learning some of the woodsmanship of actually finding these deer because we're depending too much on the technology of, oh, he was in the area, so he's probably on one of these cams. And seeing what they're doing in a scope of 400 yards versus 40 yards that they're in front of a trail camera. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that trail cameras have been game changers, but, you know, I feel very fortunate to have grown up when I did because I learned to be a, a decent deer hunter before I had the, I had trail cameras, I had food plots, um, a lot of the things that we just use and take for granted today. And once those things come along, you know, I it, it just took my game to the next level um, because I'd already learned to hunt without them. Yeah, you have all the skills. That's just like another, you know, egg in the basket. But for us, we're putting a lot, you know, that's like yeah. our go-to. Okay, he was in the area. Was he on the cams? How is he working through the property? But you're like, okay, here's a set of tracks. We're I know gonna it's follow in the last it. 10 hours. Yeah, I know it's in the last 10 hours, so I'm going to follow it. And then, like you said, that's when you're like, okay, boom. One one set of tracks that you followed, you learned stuff that's going to change the outcome of how you hunt for the rest of your life. So I feel like maybe, and I, maybe we need to slow down a little bit and try to, if we do get an encounter like that, slow down and really try to fill it out. Yeah, and to be honest, you know, a lot of what I do today is is drawing on past experiences and situations. And, um, you know, a lot of times I'm scouting new territory or whatever, and I see a situation that will remind me of a place where I had success years ago. And, uh, you know, I'll set up a stand or whatever maybe a trail camera just based on an experience i had on a totally different property so you know the the longer you do this the more experience you have to draw on to make more calculated moves and you know increase your success yeah that's something cody and i really kind of shifted our mind focus to is um trying to learn something from every hunt like there's not really a bad hunt but it's only a bad hunt if you didn't learn something and we try to get back to the truck regroup and you know on our way home think about the hunt we had just had and what we learned from it and be able to draw off of that past experience like you're talking about in the future and you know if it's october 17th and you didn't really see anything and it was kind of a cold and wet rainy day put it in the piggy bank and you know be able to draw for that in, in three years when you have a similar weather situation at that same time frame yep i do it all the time draw on that past experience what worked and what didn't and another thing uh i'm glad you told this story because i know that you're very opinionated on not hunting october mornings and I think every day in October you post and you say, I didn't hunt this morning, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, so it's cool to hear the story of, of now why you uh, are so strongly uh, believe that not hunting in October mornings. Yeah, and, and you know, this past October uh, when I was hunting Mel, I did hunt a few mornings just because I had a cameraman from out of state that was here and and I was basically not going to really good stands. I was going to more observation stands and uh crap i end up seeing mel three different october mornings and shot him on an october morning so <laughs> no absolutes in deer hunting that's, yeah, for sure. that's for sure you're like i'm gonna go here feel safe end up killing him yeah but, yep. yeah yeah I, you got to keep the daily posts going i absolutely love them when you get going you're like well this is what i seen or we're out there when it was hot and you're like i didn't hunt today but i drove around <laughs> and anybody that was was hunting probably didn't see anything we're like yeah we've seen a button buck and a doe <laughs> all day said <laughs> well the older i get the less i hunt but the more successful i am and i think it's uh by not hunting you're not putting any pressure on your property it's that and old bull keeping... young bull tactic yeah yeah, yeah. there you go keep it fresh and, <laughs> yeah. and when you do go hunting you know the deer are more relaxed and you're more likely to see the buck you're after yeah i feel like that's something that is you know if you do have that property that you can maintain and do not hunting those days or maybe hunting somewhere else and letting it chill we hunted all the way through that heat and we did encounter and almost killed the buck we were after on one of those hot mornings but man it was 
wasn't worth being out there other than that. And yeah, then the- we killed the morning after. And then after that, we were trying to calculate how many shooter bucks we've seen in 18 days during that hot weather. And I think we've seen three, three shooter, four shooters, including the one I shot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, besides the last day, the last day was kind oh, of yeah, a the, the crash last, shoot. Yeah, the last day we did see a couple, but they were yeah. if they're past 250 yards. It's, yeah, it's not, not even really. an encounter. <laughs> <laughs> but those daily posts definitely are like, okay, what what Don see today? Mm-hmm. What's Don got going on? I'm, oh. I love it when we don't see anything, and you're like, that was a good day, seen a lot of deer action. I'm like, well, we must just be in the wrong spot. <laughs> Well, that happens too to all of us, you know. If during the rut, you know, it's feast or famine. You can be in the wrong spot and see nothing, and somebody else, you know, a couple hundred yards away is seeing all kinds of action. Yeah, especially this past rut, you know, with it being so hot here in the Midwest, we we were sending out more text messages in the middle of the day than I think we ever have, just seeing what everybody else was seeing, and everybody was kind of on the same page with us. Not a whole lot. A lot of them not hunting today. Yeah, not hunting. Went to work. Yeah. I'm like, that's what we should be doing, saving the vacation. So. Yeah. Well, the time was the time on the calendar was right. You know, typically that would be great, but when that hot weather comes in, it just shuts them down. Yeah, it definitely. We were seeing activity about 30 minutes in the morning, and then the evening was nothing. nothing. But we would right. see really good action 30, 45 minutes first in the morning, and we went to the lowest spot that we could find. And it was cooler there. We were actually walking through there. And we're like, oh, it's cool here. And then we had a lightning, you know, lightning light bulb go off and be like, hey, if we think it's cool here, <laughs> maybe the right. maybe the whitetail think it's cool here too. So uh we hung up there and that's where we ended up counting that deer and that's where I ended up killing. So um picking up on those little details like that can definitely help you out. But For so sure. we went we went through a couple different bucks. We got plenty of time here. Let's run through another uh, another buck where you almost got it done, but never never was able to make it happen. Well, probably uh, one that'll haunt me forever is a buck that uh, I named him the Cedar House Buck, and the reason for it is the first time I ever saw him, I was hunting behind this house that had cedar siding on it, and we I just my friends and I, you know, called the place the Cedar House. And I was hunting behind the Cedar House, and I seen this giant buck. It would have been uh, uh, at the tail end of November one year. And uh, didn't get a shot at him or anything, but so I knew there's a giant buck in the area. And the next fall um, in, in October or in November, early November, as the rut's heating up, uh, I'm hunting a new farm in that, that general area. And I encounter the cedar house buck. I, I had a a younger buck come out into a field, and he was chasing some does around. and And one of those does must have been about to come into heat because uh, you know they came out of this thick bedding area, uh, and I was between the bedding area and the field edge. <laughs> and uh, they went out to feed in the field, and I there was another buck in that that thicket, uh, bedding thicket. But he just wouldn't come out until it was almost dark. And then when he finally did, you know, it's the Cedar House buck, this giant framed, probably 190-inch typical. <laughs> and there was a scrape in front of my stand, and it took that buck forever to get to that scrape. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, when he did, he stopped to work that scrape, and I got a chance to take a shot. I did, and I just totally blew it. So man that that would hunt that will haunt you forever <laughs> you're like okay there's a big one in the area i'm gonna hunt it hunt over this you know hunt over this scrape oh he's coming in he's coming in and then we we always say you haven't been hunting long enough to miss i haven't missed but i've you know i've wounded a giant and lost them but my time's coming for just a clean miss i could feel it every year i'm like this is the year this is the year I'm not going to kill. Yeah, <laughs> That's going to yeah. be tragic. So, I'm well, just I, I'm not for sure it. what happened. The uh, when I came back to, to find my arrow, my arrow was laying just on top of the ground. It wasn't stuck in the ground, and it was pointed back at my tree stand. So I, I think I hit a branch or something and flipped my arrow, and I, I actually think my arrow hit the buck sideways. I mean, it wasn't. It didn't hit him. The point of the arrow didn't hit him. The, the it hit a branch and deflected and 
just smacked his side and then you know was just laying there but the the craziest thing about that deer is he was just huge i know he was at least 190 typical um i had a friend come from ohio and hunt with me for a week about uh, he showed up about a week after i missed that buck and he ended up seeing that deer too and he was just beside himself he and he was a guy that was you know a good bit older than me too so he'd seen his fair share of good deer and he swore up and down it was a world record now i don't know if it was that big but it, it was big for sure one of the the biggest deer i've ever seen so i had my chance at 20 yards and blew it and you know, looking back, that was before the days of trail cameras and such. And, and I think that if I would have had trail cameras, but I, I know that if I was hunting that deer today with what I know and with trail cameras, I, I would have killed him. I, I'd kill him today. But back then, you know, I didn't know what I know now and I didn't have trail cameras. So it was a different story. Yeah. I, I mean, you've been in it so long and encountered so many deer, you can probably just walk into a place and be like, Oh yeah, this this spot feels good. I like this. <laughs> just get the feeling. Yeah, just get. Oh yeah, there's a big one around here somewhere. So I get and, that and, sometimes. You know, that little, does happen. Yeah, I get little tickles of that sometimes. Like, oh, this looks like that spot that I encountered one five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, this looks pretty decent. But you got so much experience, been doing it so time. You walk in there, you're like, yeah. And, and with Don Consulting, you know, he's yeah. seeing all different kinds of properties all over the. Yeah, and United probably States, listen so. to multiple different stories of them telling where they've encountered deer and yeah. what happened. So, yeah, the knowledge piles up, especially when you listen to others. Yeah, that's the beauty of podcast, man. Just being able to absorb that content, whatever you're doing. I'm driving a lot, and I just put it on, and then little light light bulbs start going off. I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably try that. That sounds pretty solid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds like a decent idea. So out of yeah. these two bucks, um, I know that you said this one, you know, if you could hunt them now, you, you know, you would be successful. What do you think about that? The first buck that you hunted on that trail, do you think if you could hunt that deer now, um, that you'd be successful? Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. As soon as I moved my stand from between the two trails to outside of each trail, um, I started seeing deer and, and that was the crazy thing was that little woodlot which I haven't been able to hunt for probably 20 years now, but there was a period of time when I, I did hunt it for several seasons that uh, there was just always big deer in there. And, you know, the, the deer that I, I only ended up shooting one buck there. And that was after I put things together and he wasn't a monster. He's probably 130 inches, but uh, there was a lot of bucks over 150 inches in, in that woodlot during the time that I was hunting. And if I would have had, you know, access to a place like that today, um, I'd get a crack at every deer in there, any buck in there, just because of, you know, how it lays out. It lays out ideal. I just didn't have enough experience or knowledge at the time to, to know how to set up. It's so weird when you find a spot like that. I had a lease like that a few years ago where it was just, you you would look at it and you wouldn't think it was good. It's a really small property. It's kind of on the edge of the timber um, of like a bigger block of timber, um, kind of jagged with ridges and stuff, nothing, no food plots, nothing really there. And just loaded with big bucks, just absolutely loaded. And it's weird how you just find, you just stumble on. I just kind of stumbled onto it, just trying to find a police. And then I got in there and was seeing the sign. I'm like, wow, I got something really special here. And then I killed four years in a row on it. So, Mm -hmm. and it's crazy how, and then we got another piece that, it looks, the piece we have now, if you've seen it, you'd be like, this, it's only 40 acres, but you'd be like, this is the 40 acres that's going to hold a giant. No one's been in here hunting. Ton of bedding, food plots, ag, water source, pinch point, everything that you'd think that you would need, and it just doesn't hold big deer. There's, I mean, so it's crazy how some properties just got it and some properties don't. But is it, stu- is it something that you see that if, if you've had an encounter with a big deer or if uh, you've seen a big deer in in an area that in the future there's another big deer doing kind of the same thing or in the same area? Yeah, that, that's really common. And usually it'll there will be a big deer there every year until somebody ruins it. 
And it used to be when, when I was younger, I was the guy that run it. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I'd find one of these hot properties. And, and uh, before I, I, I figured things out, I'd burned it out. And, and today it's just the opposite. When I find a good one, I know, you know, not to put too much pressure on it to stay back on the edges. Uh, let the deer have the heart of the property. And um, it, when you do that, the property just stays hot year after year. Um, as long as nobody else goes in there and runs it. So that human intrusion is a killer for a property. Yeah, that's what it, happened to I'm me and the neighbors. You, I'm a guy that's probably burned out more properties than anybody on the planet. <laughs> I've ruined a bunch of them uh, before I figured things out. But today I know how important that freedom of human intrusion is. And I go out of my way to uh, not pressure the deer. Yeah, that's what happened to us. They, uh, they, the, property that was right next to it sold and they uh kind of combined together and then there was no big deer on it so i was like it was like a light switch and then we know the guy that bought it he ran cams out there after it sold and it it never never connected the dots and he wasn't getting any big deer either so it's crazy mm-hmm. how one person can definitely make a, a huge impact on a on a property yeah, and, you know, with the big deer, it takes less human intrusion than it does with just the general deer herd. Um, get those old bucks, and it takes very little to cause them to move somewhere else. Okay, so do you have any idea what happened to either of those bucks? Did you ever hear of them getting shot or anything like that? No, I never did hear about either one, and the one, the bigger buck, I know I would have heard about it if that one had been shot, but... Uh, I, I never did hear of anybody shooting either one. Yeah, back then, I mean, for that caliber of deer, really, um, there wasn't that many that that big a deer back then, was there? I mean, that size. No. I know no, when my grandpa was. talked about deer hunting, he was like, "Man, to even see, you know, a six pointer or an eight pointer, that was a pretty good, pretty good shotgun season, you know." So, yep, I remember the days. Well, uh, in the beginning there, we had you had said that you had maybe three three bucks that you'd like to talk about, and um, let's go ahead and talk about this third one and um, kind of your goal associated with why this one um, sticks out to you. Well, the other buck that I missed that comes to mind is, uh, uh, it, it, again, this is probably, oh, it had to be 25 years ago. Um, but I'd always wanted to shoot a buck on each of the holidays that fall during deer season. I want to shoot a Halloween buck, a Thanksgiving buck, a Christmas buck. And, uh, to this day, I've not done any of them. So, um, uh, but one, one year I did have my chance on Thanksgiving morning and the story actually starts a couple days before, um, I was hunting this farm, um, that typically there's not a lot of deer on it, but for whatever reason, uh, during the rut, the deer show up there. It's a little creek that meanders through a cow pasture, and there, there are trees along the creek and such. And it's there's not a lot of cover, but there's some little pockets where there's enough cover for you know a deer to bed or whatever. So I'm mean, I'm in my stand one morning, and uh, from one direction down the creek comes a uh, doe that's being chased by two young bucks. And, you know, she's running by, her tongue's hanging out, and these bucks are right on her tail just grunting up a storm. And they go past me, and they go into a little thicket, you know, and I'm talking probably a half an acre. And when they did, they come busting back out my direction, and, and there was a, apparently a big buck had been bedded right there, a big 10-pointer. And uh, he gets in on the action. And uh, so there's four of them now, the two little bucks and the doe and then the big buck. And they didn't come past my stand uh, close enough for a shot, but uh, they, they head out across this field um, to another woods. I mean, like a quarter mile away, they, they ran across this open country. And so I know they're gone. Um, there's no chance hardly of them coming back past me where I'm sitting at. And I got to thinking, I was sitting there thinking of what I'm going to do. And I thought, you know what? I know exactly where that, that big buck beds now. Um, I, I know that that doe is, is about to come in heat because that big buck, the way 
the bucks were after and just how she was acting. I knew she was about to come and be, and I'm thinking that buck is going to be with that doe for, you know, a couple of days. And then when he gets done, he's probably going to end up right back here, bedding in the same spot. He feels safe there. So I went back to my vehicle right then. And, uh, to my truck, I had a tree stand in the back of the truck and I grabbed a tree stand and I went back to set it up. And the stand that I was hunting in that morning when this happened required a northwest wind. But I knew the weather forecast was it was supposed to warm up a little bit, and that wind was going to switch to the south. And I didn't have a stand right there that I could hunt with a south wind. So I went back to my truck, and I got a stand. I came in right then, and I put it up, knowing the buck is gone from his bedroom. And I put that stand up for a south wind. And I come back on Thanksgiving morning with that south wind to hunt this stand. And uh, it, it probably wasn't about an hour after daylight. Here comes that very same 10-point buck. Again, probably about 160-inch buck. And uh, it was, uh, you know, late November. It's, it's pretty cold here in Illinois. And I bought a new pair of these uh, glove mittens. You know, they're, they're like a glove, but the fingers are cut out of them. But there's a flap, like a mitten flap that goes over your fingers. And, uh, so uh, I look up and here comes this 10 pointer. He's going to pass me at about 15 yards. And, uh, I go to draw my bow back and I get my bow about halfway drawn back. I'm not even at full draw. And that stinking, uh, flap on that new glove mitten thing catches my trigger on my release and, and sends my arrow just sailing over that buck's back by 15 feet. I mean, <laughs> It wasn't even a full draw shot. It was like halfway back and you trip the trigger and that arrow just goes out about, you know, 20 yards from your bow and hits the ground. And it just went right over that buck's back and stuck in the ground right past him. He looks right up at me and blows out of there. Um, that was the first day that I wore those mittens to the woods. And uh, I learned right then that uh, you don't take new, new gear to the woods during the rut. You get things prepared ahead of time and, that buck still haunts me because I figured everything out. I did everything right. You know, I knew that deer was going to come back and bed where he was bedded that morning when I seen him get up and chase them uh, or that doe. And I knew the wind was going to switch out of the south. And I knew it was, I needed to get that stand up, you know, while the buck was gone. I did everything right. And the buck walks right into my lap like I thought he would. And then the uh, equipment failure, the, that new glove mitten thing. Uh, catching the trigger and, and launching my arrow before I was at full draw. Um, that buck still kind of haunts me too. Yeah. I've wear those gloves before too. And I'm like, ah, man, I just, I feel like it's going to get in the way. And now I cut out all the fingers on my release <laughs> side. <laughs> I'm like, nothing can get in my way. I just burn through. There is a wad of hot hands in the back of our trucks at the end of the year, yep. <laughs> just a pile of them. Because you gotta, I gotta have those fingers open. I just run a couple hot hands in a fluffy pocket and call her, call her good. Got a cold hand for sure. So I, I do the very same thing. I just use those hot hands in my pockets and uh, keep my hands in my pockets most of the time. And that, I mean, that day just uh, cost me a big one. Yeah, it helps me from to stop moving as much too. Because if you got your hands in your pocket, you're like I don't want to take this thing out and do anything because it's about to be real cold, real quick. Because once yep. you get it in there nice and warm, it's like twice as cold when you bring it out. You're like, yeah. wow, it's really cold out here now. Yeah. So, so on uh, on any of those three bucks that we covered, um, and was there anything that you picked up? You know besides the jay hooking in the bed tactic that you learned from them that you used on another buck and was successful because of that well i mean definitely how they use the wind um of course by the time that how or that uh, thanksgiving buck by the time that incident happened i was those other previous bucks i'd already missed them and i was putting some things together um but but watching those bucks and how they move through the cover with the wind to their advantage as much as possible um it's just something that i picked up on you know fairly quick yeah it would be really cool to be able to you know 
have an area where you could just watch them and see how they use the terrain, you know, and, and the natural, you know, they're still trying to avoid predators, still trying to avoid people, but you could watch them and see those people that get the deer tracker information. Oh, they they yeah. got so much knowledge, um, just be able to watch those deer. But one question I want to ask, it's, you said that, you know, you started hunting and then it took a while, you killed a couple, but until you really started narrowing it down, how long, how many years do you think you were hunting there until you really got there fine-tuned to where you're at today? Well, to be honest, I, I think, uh, well, I'll throw an interesting figure out at you. Last deer hunting season was my 43rd season. And four of my top five bucks have been killed in the last four years. So I hunted 43 years. Four of my top five bucks killed the last four. And, and I'm just, I really feel like I've just started really putting things together in the last five years. And, and I was killing good ones before that. Don't get me wrong. And the crazy thing is, you know, I started riding, um, for North American whitetail, uh, in 25 years ago, um, this summer, uh, I think I mentioned that earlier. And, and when I started riding, I, I don't know, I think I was, uh, I was in my thirties. I'm, I'm 57 now. So, you know, 32 or so. And I, at the time I, I thought I had enough deer knowledge. I could be writing magazine articles and this and that, but I look back at some of those earlier, earlier articles that I wrote and, and my opinion on things has just totally changed. And, uh, you know, it's just a continual learning process. And I think the longer you do it, um, the better you get if you want to. I mean, you can get stuck in a rut and never change how you do things, but if you're open-minded and don't get big-headed and think you're an expert, but always try to be a student, always try to be learning more, I'm not sure what the limit is, but I can tell you for absolute certain that it's just been in the last five years that I've really picked it up another notch that I didn't even know was possible. Yeah, you're like a surgically removing them is what I like yeah. to call. Yeah, right. <laughs> One episode I said, we got to go out there with a machete. <laughs> and this guy's going in with a scalpel. <laughs> I'm in there whacking until something sticks. You're in there, you know, just taking them out. So it's it's definitely well, a different level when you could put the pieces together. And I think our problem is we're you get narrow-minded and you don't have those encounters to fall back on where you're like, this might work, but I had that buck that did this that's counteracting with what, you know, I think might happen. And then all, of, like you said, the years compiled together and the data that you collect definitely makes the picture a little brighter. Well, and I think it's, uh, it's not just deer hunting. I think it's human nature to uh, at some point think you've got something pretty well figured out, but, you know, I can tell you, I, I don't know how old you guys are, but, you know, a, a guy that's 30, he'll look back on himself at 20, and he'll realize that at 20 he didn't know squat. And then when he's 40, he'll look back when he was 30 and realize he didn't know squat. And then when he's 50, he's going to look back when he was 40, and he's going to realize he didn't know squat. Well, finally, I just accepted I don't know squat. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just just try to learn, you know, and – um there's no substitute for time in the woods and, and years of experience. And, you know, I would trade some of my years of experience for some youth some days. I tell you that for sure, but th there's just no substitute for it. You, you can read all you want. You can watch as many videos as you want, but there's nothing like firsthand experience. And the more firsthand experience, the better. And, and that's really what it takes to, to get to the ultimate level. It's just continue plugging away and, and continue trying to learn more and be a student instead of thinking you're a know-it-all. And I mean, that's what's good for me. And at one time I thought I wasn't know-it-all. So, um, the older I get to realize I, how little I really know. I really like that, man. Just get, just got to keep go doing it. Just like everything else in life. If you want to get good at something, you just got to repetition, repetition, Every, like you were saying, every time you go out there, try to make it valuable, learn something, pick up some kind of detail. And then throughout the years, you know, I feel like if people listen to Whitetail or listen to podcasts, they're trying to absorb content to be the best hunter that they can be. 
to make their time out in the woods more enjoyable and more successful. But um, maybe those bad hunts aren't as bad as we think because, like you said, mm-hmm. the end goal is to be the best you can. You've took a step up by get stepping out of there and getting off the couch and going out and trying to get something to put together. Yeah, you know, my goal every year is to end the season as a better hunter than when I started. Um, so that the, the following year I can start out just a little bit better than I did the year before. So I want to pick up something, you know, in, in the woods that, that I can take with me uh, for the rest of my life to be a better hunter. And when you do that year after year after year for decades, it, it finally starts adding up and makes a real difference. Yeah, definitely some we learned don't snort wheeze at giant bucks last yes. year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like the third time I've been busted on a snort wheeze, I'm like, man, I'm not gonna do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. It only took a couple three times. It'd be like, okay, <laughs> just don't do this. This is bad. <laughs> I need that like, oh, it was a fluke. Okay, maybe it's not a fluke. No, it's re- this is really what you need to do. <laughs> the third or fourth time messing up finally sticks in my noggin, but well, Don, yeah, we we uh we really appreciate you coming on, telling some awesome stories, letting the listeners know that you know even the best in the world can have a mishap and take that mishap and turn it back into a learning experience, just to continue to grow and be a better hunter. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and you know, like I said, I'm just a simple country boy, and um, I, the older I get, the more I enjoy helping others. You know one of the highlights of my season is, you know, about the first of November, my phone just starts going crazy from consulting clients and everything else, other people I've met and, and they're sending me pictures of deer they just shot. And, you know, it, it really means a lot when somebody's texts me a picture of their buck and they say, I just shot the biggest buck of my life. And it's because of something that you told me, or I did it out of the tree where you tied the ribbon when you was on my property. And, um, you know, i get the more i appreciate those things yeah it's always awesome to be able to help someone you know achieve that goal or you know if you could be just as little as part you know we released a whole episode just trying to motivate people to go (laughs) a couple episodes ago you know and we just want to be like the little sliverous part just to push people to try to be the absolute best you can and with your consultant company i guarantee you you're you're opening people's eyes to a whole bunch of stuff that they had no idea what was even going on on their property. So, but uh, well, I hope so for yeah. sure. For our listeners, make sure and check out Chasing Giants. I I love that podcast. I think you got a great podcast voice. Yeah, you're yeah. always chill on there, <laughs> telling good stories. Your co-host is really good too. Um, and as always, all your all your content, and we've been we've been following it forever and. Just a huge thank you for coming on and giving our listeners uh, an episode that hopefully was a little fun for you to talk about and maybe something that you hadn't chatted with, um, with you know, on a podcast about yet. Well, I've been on a lot of podcasts, but this was the first one where I was asked about the bucks I missed. Usually, it's the bucks I killed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's our that's our goal here. Just trying to, you know, flip the script and uh, you know, make it fun, entertaining for our listeners and also something that you might enjoy talking about that you haven't got to talk about yet. So um, we'll wrap it up here tonight. So we appreciate you coming on. I'd be glad to come back anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. I really enjoyed that episode talking to an absolute legend. Um, Just got the word out about Mel. We talked about this, but number two, you know, in Illinois, that's epic. Absolutely epic. Killed the biggest, his biggest five bucks the last four years. No. Four bucks the last five yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, that just goes to show you, like we're doing these episodes, um, it takes a long time to learn these whitetails. And you're talking to a guy that's been doing it for years and years and years. And, you know, he's on his 35th year and he's like, all right, I'm going to start killing absolute <laughs> giants, you know. And people think that they can just do it their third, fourth, fifth year out there. And there, you can, don't get me wrong, you can. Stuff happens. But it takes time to really get a, a feel. And everybody grows different. That's something that people need to understand. Like some people pick up on stuff just like everything in life. You know, you might be great at basketball and you just picked up on it, but there's a guy who goes to the court every day and grinds. Mm-hmm. He might be almost as good as you, you know. So 
everybody picks up on stuff different. The only thing with hunting is there's luck involved too. That's that's the offset to the skill and luck. But uh, one thing I want to pick up on there that he said there uh, towards the end was he tied a ribbon on the tree. Yeah. Could you imagine yeah. Don Higgins? I need like, him to do this that. This is the kill tree, right? All right Don, <laughs> come out, walk with me. Tie the ribbon on the tree. Right. Where do I need All to right. be? Shoot my biggest buck this yeah, fall right yeah. there. All right. All right. I'm going to hunt here. That's worth the money all day. <laughs> would, you, would you put a preset in there? Yeah. yeah I'd, be, I'd be like, all right. I'm, I'm not hunting anything. He told me to be here November 4th. Everything but that tree and me. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's out. <laughs> 703. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we hope you guys are enjoying these episodes. Uh, like we said, we're trying to bring value to guys, get these, you know, real big names on that are absolute whitetail slayers talking about the times that they didn't come together. We hope it's something fresh that you haven't heard, and we hope you can pick up on some of this knowledge and kill the biggest buck of your life this year. And as always, like we always say, do the right thing, leave a legacy, and whitetail legacy is out.